Hello and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel and my guest today is the incredible Chad Belding. He's the host of the Foul Life TV show running currently in its 11th season airing on the Outdoor Channel, host of This This Life Ain't Easy podcast, former Division I baseball player. And this was easily one of the more interesting conversations I've ever had. This conversation, Chad is a big hunter, which is pretty cool, you know, teach his own, do your thing. But the best part was that we can, he was so great at comparing and contrasting everything in hunting to baseball back and forth. We get to talk about all the baseball players he knows, George Brett, Will Smith of the Dodgers, Charlie Blackman, Chuck Nasty, just some of these incredible dudes that he talks about and, and he, he spends time with. And he, again, he does such a great job at explaining and comparing and contrasting hunting, especially water, waterfowl, duck hunting to baseball. It was so, so, so much fun. So please enjoy this episode with Chad Belding. Today, on For the Love of Sports, I have Chad Belding, host of The Foul Life, currently in its 11th season, airing on the Outdoor Channel. He is also the host of This Life Ain't Ain't for Everybody. Uh, This Life Ain't for Everybody, let's try and say that correct, podcast, um, which is available pretty much anywhere you can get your podcast. Also, former Division I baseball player, Chad, how you doing today, man? I'm doing awesome, buddy. How are you? Thanks for having me. Pleasure is all mine. I've always wanted to be on TV. I've always wanted to talk to Charlie Blackman. So you got a couple things on me already. So I appreciate you hanging out. Chuck Nasty's pretty cool, man. Yeah, I appreciate you being here. He's a great guy. Just uh, low key on. He he talks about it in the podcast of his kind of split personalities when he gets in between the chalk lines, what he turns into. But off the off the field, off the diamond, he's a he's a, just a big sweetheart. His wife's awesome. He just got a new puppy dog, a black lab that he's training and heck of a dude man he's a he was on the rich eisen show the other day i don't know if you heard that but rich referred to him as one of the best hitters in baseball which i totally agree his swing is just so rod carew he's got a little bit of george brett in it and um just really fluent pretty swing got a little bit of griffy in his swing too but Mm -hmm. nasty's the man he is he is such an awesome dude great defender as well let's not forget about that he's made some pretty cool plays out there uh out in course field in colorado but no man i'm as i told you before baseball is my favorite thing on planet earth but the first question i have for everybody on the for the love of sports podcast chad is why do you love sports so much um i i honestly think that sports are kind of the foundation of 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 life kind of you know whether you're going to be an entrepreneur you're going to develop a spirit in the business world or you're going to be a teacher or you're going to be a surgeon or a fighter pilot or even a janitor you know a lot of people talk about the the title of one of our podcasts this life ain't for everybody and it was never intended to say you know we wake up early and we we go to bed late and we are always grinding you know which duck hunters do but it wasn't meant for that it was just about all these different walks of life that were able to meet through our our network of duck hunting and the outdoors and conservation and mother nature and the and so with that being said to answer your question it's like 
if I go to a school and I see a janitor that's whistling Dixie and just cleaning with everything he or she's got and taking a ton of pride and passion in that job, that's what life's all about. He, he might not be on the same level financially as a Charlie Blackman or, or he might not be looked upon as somebody that might be a heart surgeon, but in his or her eyes or my eyes, I'm thinking like, Hey, if our kids have a better place than a safer place and a cleaner place to go to school, then that janitor's doing its job. So I always looked at sports as kind of like, man, everything they taught me from discipline to visualization to organization as being the key to success. And um, whether it was morning weights and, and, and going from that high school level to, to college when your mom and dad weren't there pushing you or your teachers didn't care if you came to class or not and your coaches weren't waking you up. You know, the co- the, the sports just paved that way of like being coachable taking something out of every day you might fail in baseball you fail 70 percent of the time as an offensive player and you're considered an all-star and you, you could go into the hall of fame with a 300 batting career and if you think about how much you have to accept failure and get good at failure life is about ups and downs too life is a lot of failures and i i never want to sugarcoat it for a high school baseball player and i talk to professional athletes a lot about what they would say to those you know the kids that have dreams of making it to the next level which I did too. I always thought I would be drafted and and come to find out I sucked. And, but I kept that vision of every day grinding on the baseball field, going there early, getting the right amount of hacks in quantity, quality before quantity, but you know, taking extra hacks, taking extra wind sprints, extra foul pulls, trying to work on my speed, trying to work on my visualization. Like I mentioned, trying to work on my base stealing, whatever it was, I wanted to just become better at each little part of the game. And then after I was told you're not good enough to go to the next level, I tried to apply all of that I learned in sports to business. And I started to be, you know, started to develop this entrepreneurial spirit. And I don't know if you develop it or if you're born with it and it just starts to mature later in life. But now, you know, I get to hang out with guys that I grew up idolizing. I've cooked steaks in George Brett's backyard. I've hung out with Charlie Blackman. I've I've been with I can I mean I can name them. I don't want to name drop a bunch of baseball players, but you can. Uh, You're good, man. Keep going. No, I, I I mean I've I, I've I've hunted with some some baseball players and and metal and and been around um you know anybody from Buster Posey on the Giants to to Charlie Blackman like I mentioned before and and. You know, I just did a big podcast with Will Smith, the catcher on the Dodgers, and Caleb Ferguson, a pitcher on the Dodgers, and Andrew Kashner is hunted with us, who's been a just a stud baseball player from the Padres to the, you know, he was on the he's with Rangers Boston before he was with Red Rangers Sox yeah. for a while. He's he was with the Miami he's with Miami for a little bit, but you know, you you get around these baseball players and you start talking to them about you know how they made it, and and they're looking at me like, well, how did you make it? I want to be hunting more, and I want to be playing my personally i want to be play, doing what they're doing so you know I, i've been around like tim wakefield up in boston at a zach brown concert and i just look at him like that's one of the greatest knuckleball pitchers of all time and he's we're enjoying this common bond of zach brown's music at fenway park i met zach zach brown through baseball i mean through hunting mm-hmm. tim met him through baseball affiliation with fenway park and now we all come together and it's like man i can talk to baseball with tim i can talk music with zach i can you know so it's it's kind of a to answer your question, it's not like I love sports because I love the the competitiveness. I love that part. I love the anticipation. I love the visualization. I love what what goes into the approach and, and how do you how do you you know analyze the game and mm-hmm. how do you come up with the right 
mental attitude to stay successful at that game and how how do you take that on to the next stages of life a lot of these professional athletes when it's over they don't just retire they go into business they go into broadcasting they want to be better at something else so i think sports is is great i i could talk about it all day long i'm a very long-winded person sometimes just because i i have a lot of i have a lot of passion for sports but i also think that there's something in letting kids and letting athletes find their own way i i I go to a lot of little league games man and i see these parents that are just gung-ho crazy Mm -hmm. about like my son's the next bryce harper and i look at her and i'm like no he's not sorry and you don't want to burst any bubbles but man it's just like so much pressure on the kid the athlete the umpire the coach these guys are all volunteers and they're not always going to make the right call they're not always going to like make the right decision the kids I think it's more about fun and I think it's about letting Mm -hmm. them find that. And Charlie says that like, as long as you're playing for the right reasons and as long as you love what you're doing, then go out there and do what you can to the best of your ability. And the rest will take care of itself. If you're meant to go to the next level in baseball and get drafted out of high school or go to a junior college and get drafted after your sophomore year or go to a four year, you know, D one school and get drafted after your junior senior year, then that's what it's meant to be. And then you're going to be ready for that, but just, you know, stay the course, stay in your lane. And, and sports taught me all that. That's a long winded answer. Like I said before, but sports teaches you so much about life that it's crazy. When you look back at it, I, I, I literally got a phone call. I was driving my truck two nights ago and the phone rang and it's my head college coach, Fred Dalimore, who's in the hall of fame at university of Nevada, Reno. He's in the NCAA hall of fame as a coach at university of Nevada, Las Vegas, where I played. And we talked for 45 minutes about the quarantine, about him and his wife, Alice. He's 75 years old now. And he is, he is famous in my group of friends is calling me the biggest recruiting mistake that he ever made. He said that in front of the whole team, my sophomore year at UNLV. And when I heard that, I was like, I was hurt a little bit. And then I was like, well, he can't be any more honest than that. He made the mistake. I was just playing ball. He's the one that brought me down there, but he called me the biggest recruiting mistake that he ever made. So that tells you like, Maybe I wasn't even supposed to be playing D1 ball, you know? So it was, uh, I learned from that, like, all right, I'm going to apply that. If you're going to knock me down in front of the team, you're trying to obviously coach me. Mm-hmm. You're trying to teach me something here. And it taught me, it just taught me to be a visionary, to be better, to see the bigger picture. And I always saw the bigger picture of what was happening around me through, you know, the the pitch, the three, two pitch or the anticipation of the ball off the bat. If I was in center field, I always tried to visualize a bigger picture of what was going to happen if that ball was going to hit to me if I was given this opportunity, if I was afforded this in life. And I think that sports taught me all that. So I don't know if that was the answer to your question, but I tried. It absolutely was the answer to the question, man. And I completely agree. I mean, sports teaches people so much. I mean, you brought up visualization multiple times. You brought up entrepreneurship and and learning from not just your mistakes, but learning from other people and what they did wrong, right? That's always something fun when you see a batter strike out on whatever pitch they always go then but you know they're walking back to the dugout hey what was that how did you do it what did it look like coming out of his hand and you have that little conversation between the batter that struck out and the batter going to the plate because you can learn from their mistakes as well so i think that that part's always very very important and, and you brought up a lot of different baseball players and and i appreciate that believe me believe me i appreciate that cooking steak at george brett's house if i told my mom i did that one day she would flip her uh she would flip her head i mean it's absolutely fantastic so what is it 
between, you know, just the competitiveness of duck hunting and baseball? What is it between the daily grind of, you know, 162 and 180 for baseball and, and needing to get up at, you know, those four o'clock in the morning, um, weight lifts, as you were talking about and getting out there into the field and, and how, how have you been able to kind of connect and correlate the two things of your life now seeing and hearing and feeling so many more people from the baseball world coming over to you through that energy that you put out to allow, allow them to start hunting more and doing the things that they want to do more as well. Yeah, I've seen it from both sides. I've seen baseball players that grew up hunting and they have a, a mentor a mentor in their family, whether it's their dad or their mom or their uncle. And I also see baseball players that are getting into duck hunting in the outdoors later in life. Uh, we mentioned some of the players that we've gotten to share duck camp with or share a backyard steak with or a podcast with. And I think the correlation is the visualization is so big in 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 the approach is there's that there's an off season but in that off season we we coined this term a while ago in our hunting companies that we merely exist in a duck's world meaning that when you think if you look at some of our logos um i could tell you the whole story how we developed this logo but it's a duck's foot the the orange foot of a mallard duck and you see his toenails Mm -hmm. and everything and then it's got the globe in there and he's just manipulating that globe and turning it and doing what he wants with my daily being my daily presence so I look at that like everything that I think about in life is wrapped around, you know, my approach to duck hunting and what I'm going to be doing once the fall comes. But in the off season, I'm like, all right, I got to make sure my dog's ready. I got to keep my shooting skills honed. I got to make sure that I'm eating all these ducks that I have been able to harvest the last season. So I'm always outside cooking and trying. We have a new company called The Provider. So we're always trying to teach people how to prepare that bounty. In baseball, I was the same exact way. It was like, how many how many editions of sports illustrated can i get with griffey on the cover bo jackson on the cover george brett on the cover wade boggs <clears throat> excuse me wade boggs on the cover how can i break down rod cruz spray swing how can i go watch tony gwynn approach the play why does tony gwynn only strike out so many times in a season it's because that whole off season he was preparing he was not just in the in the in the taking live batting practice he was behind you know i had a picture behind an l screen he was on a t he was breaking down video he was he was well tony gwynn probably didn't really work on his nutrition a lot because he was gifted in that area mm-hmm. back in the 80s and 90s but he 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 wasn't gifted in the area of nutrition or that i'm saying the exact opposite is that he was just so natural and fluid at the plate that because of his his preparation for the at-bats and how to see the ball all the way into a catcher's glove, how to pick up the spin of a slider, the dot on a slider, whether it was a 12-6 curveball, was it a changeup? The changeup is the hardest pitch to hit in baseball, according to myself, because the arm motion is the exact same as a, as a fastball. It's harder to pick up. It was always tailing away from me as a left-handed hitter. So I, I, I look at it like, man, the preparation that you see to be a successful baller, to be a black man, to be able to make the all-star team and hit a bomb in the all-star game, just like Bo Jackson did back in the nineties when he hit that bomb, um, you know, backing up Wade, you know, back to back with Wade Boggs. If you think about Bo Jackson is a big hunter. He loves archery hunting. He loves duck hunting. He made duck hunting famous for athletes when he hunted with our Auburn coach, Pat Dye on a DVD back in the, uh, back in the early nineties, maybe late eighties, but early nineties when he was, when he was just now, going to the Raiders, I believe. And he had been in the, been with the Royals for a little bit. We all know the story of Bo and all that, but um, he's a hunter. And I think that that approach is 
is honing your skills, visualizing. What are you going to do to encompass this whole experience of this baseball game? And now the preparation and, and the strategy behind duck hunting. I don't think there's a more strategic sport in the world than baseball. Everybody can tell me till they're blue in the face that, that Belichick's a genius. He is, but he's not, he's not doing the same thing that a baseball coach does for 162 games a year. And like you said, 180 with the playoffs or the world series. So I look at them through the eyes of the, the execution of a strategy of like, we're, we're going to be successful in duck hunting because we are going to be prepared. And I always talking about being presented with that opportunity. If you're not prepared, you might go three weeks without getting the opportunity again. If you are not prepared in baseball, you might go three weeks of the worst slump of your life. And it's hard to climb out of that. And every baseball player, no matter how good they are, goes through a slump and they almost get to the point where I don't know if I'll ever hit the ball right on the right on the right part mm-hmm. of the wood bat again. And I think that that approach is what brought me so keen into the duck hunting aspect of the outdoors is that I looked at the approach and the strategy more so than a deer hunt and deer hunting is very strategic. Don't get me wrong. So is turkey hunting, but duck hunting, you are, you are literally hunting hundreds of animals at a time with unbelievable vision senses that get them from way up North on their migratory routes, way down South. And they're surviving all of these elements. So they, they're very keen and and very savvy animals. So I looked at the approach like, man, I'm, I'm looking at it through how I looked at baseball preseason, postseason uh, as soon as this duck season's over i go right into working on my skills again and so i think that a lot of these players are the same way they come out to a duck hunt they see all of that preparation and visualization and strategy and then on top of all that it is the most community um driven the most you know camaraderie you go into a locker room in baseball what you know everybody talks about man i miss the boys i miss the locker room mm-hmm. i miss the plane rides i miss the traveling well duck hunting as opposed to like deer hunting or turkey hunting, those two, you're kind of alone. You're by yourself. You're quiet. You got all your sense on. You got to make sure you're reading the wind and they're not getting downwind of you. <coughs> in duck hunting, there could be six or seven of us in a blind eating biscuits and gravy. Cut. <coughs> Excuse me, bro. You know, cutting up and making, you know, making jokes and having fun and ribbing each other. And that it's a real community driven sport. So I also think that that draws um, the athletes to it because it's a lot of fun to be in mm-hmm. camp. So um, I, I never will take away anything from the other aspects or segments of, of hunting or fishing or the outdoors, but duck hunting is just a, it's a baseball thinking sport. In my mm-hmm. opinion, man, you, you have to be ready four to five at bats a day. You have to be allowed that uh, ready for that many opportunities in a duck blind. Today. You might only get one opportunity in deer hunt and duck hunting. You got to be ready. You might strike out on this opportunity, but you got to go back. You can't take your offense out on defense. So if you mess up on one flock, you can't get all down and then not be ready for the next one because you, you know, you, you, you took your offense out on defense and made a big air. And that's a big part of the game, winning a gold glove or getting, making so many assists in the outfield or becoming a a very strong part of your team is a a shortstop or a double playmaker or a captain or catcher behind the dish. That part's just as important as being a 300 hitter or becoming Mickey Mantle or Hank Aaron or some of the greatest home run hitters of our, uh, of baseball history. So I just look at it as like, you, the 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 parallels are there in so many different ways of the preparation to the execution to the strategy yeah and i think that's the that's the best that's my favorite part about baseball right like everyone makes fun of baseball players or you know the internet does at least talking about how you don't have to be the most athletic but it is absolutely the most mental game in my opinion on how to make sure as you said you know you're going to get four at bats you might only get one pitch to actually hit 
right? So you have to be ready for that one absolute time. Mike Trout goes up to the plate. He's lucky if he gets one pitch an entire game to hit. And when he oh, gets yeah. it, he takes advantage of it, right? Think about Barry Bonds. Think about yep. Bonds. How many times he led the league in intentional walks? How many mm -hmm. times he led the league in walks? Think about the discipline and the visionary he had to be to, to not swing at all those junk pitches. And then when he get his pitch, it would land in McCovey Cove or when he yep. was with the pirates, it would go out of three river stadium and him and Bobby Bonilla would be celebrating. And I was just like, how can he not be in the hall of fame? This whole asterisk deal, whole yeah. other rabbit hole to go down, right? Yep. Whole other deal. <laughs> um, but, but what's cool about what you said right there, about the athleticism of a baseball player like Bartolo Colon doesn't look like he could probably go play in the NBA. I think he could. I have had arguments with people that, and I talk about this in some podcasts and the last one, big one happened in Argentina last year. I was with some guys from Maryland down there and they're, they're soccer nuts and they're, they love the world cup. And I simply said, baseball players are the greatest athletes in the world. And they said, you, you're so lit. You don't have to be a good athlete to play baseball. I said, okay, here's what I mean. If you take the top athlete off of every, all 30 major league baseball teams, and you take the top athlete off of every NFL team, every NBA team, every Olympic swimmer, every bowling league, every bull rider, if you take them all, every athlete, female and, and males, and you put them in an Olympic style event, you where they have to box, they have to bowl, they have to play ping pong, they have to shoot a ball, they have to catch a basketball, they have to catch a football. A baseball player can do all that. You look at Mookie Betts, that dude, and I'm not just saying him because he is on a different level, mm -hmm. but I've been around so many of them and their eye-hand coordination with a ping pong paddle, the, the way that they can dribble a basketball, the way they can bowl. I feel that if you put Michael Phelps in a batting cage and you saw it with one of the greatest athletes in the history of sports, Michael Jordan, he did not look very athletic in a, in a batting cage, but he looked unreal on the court. You take Bo Jackson and you put him in, in a situation and he was just, he was an okay hitter, right? He wasn't like an unbelievable mm -hmm. average hitter, but he still looked athletic doing it. Then he'd go on the court and went, won the 86 foot locker slam dunk contest. Barry Bonds. If you watch those guys in their hand, eye hand coordination, the way they bowl, the way they play ping pong, the way they dri dribble a basketball, the way they swim. I'm just trying to say that if you look at the way baseball players can take on all of those different segments of all those different sporting events, they're going to perform better than the NFL player, the NHL player, the NBA player, this all every other mm -hmm. aspect of sport. And that's kind of biased because I love baseball, <laughs> but I truly feel that that yeah. they are the greatest athletes on the face of the earth, all around greatest athletes. I'm not saying they could go run a full soccer game and do it. Mm -hmm. Pele did. And I'm not saying they could beat Phelps in a swimming event. That's not, they couldn't beat Sean White in a snowboard, mm -hmm. but they could go down a hill on a snowboard. They can get in a pool and swim. They can get on a soccer field and dribble a soccer ball down the field because they're athletes and they, and then they can go and hit a round object with a round object from 60 feet, 60 inches, six inches away, moving different planes at different speeds and do it consistently and then fail seven out of 10 times and be considered the best at what they do. Mm -hmm. I think they're the greatest athletes in the world. See, I've never heard that argument from that perspective before. Most of the time you hear it from athleticism, like, Oh, look at LeBron James and just what he is capable of doing. But when you put it in that sense, I, I also am biased, but I would probably agree with you just kind of off, off the cuff, because I do think that's a really good point in understanding you know, how, how do you test athleticism? I think that's obviously the, the, the greater question, but just the opportunity, all these baseball players, they have to do so much more. And yeah, so much of the game is, you know, again, I don't agree. I think they're athletic as, as anything and it's incredible, but you know, you always hear so much of the game is waiting and so much of the game is, is, you know, it's, there's not really much too much playing time, but you can say that about, you know, football as well. What, 
in a three hour long game. I think they're actually playing for about 10 minutes and 50 seconds or something. So it is something. And so going back to the competitive aspect a little bit more, um, when it comes to hunting in general, specifically, like, you know, we're talking about duck hunting, especially being an athlete like yourself, you know, going to UNLV as a division one baseball player, talking about competitiveness, as you already said before, what is that? And baseball specifically, again, going back to strategy in that chess match, what is it like, you know, man versus beast, man versus animal and, and that competitive nature of it and them trying to outwit you and you trying to outwit them. And, you know, who, who comes out on top? And as we said before, it's not going to work every time, but sometimes it's in your favor. Sometimes it's in theirs. Yeah. I've always said there's no trophies in hunting, but you know, you could, you could get, get a good deer to put on your wall or you might have a nice steak on your table. And those are, those are considered the trophies. You don't mm -hmm. get put into a hunting hall of fame, even though there is an outdoor hall of fame. So I take all of the competitiveness as far as like, you know, go out there and play like a champion today. I say, let's execute, let's go out mm -hmm. there and play as a team. Let's have a lot of fun doing it. But you are right. When you start to see all of the all of the elements that you have to figure out and become part of. You have to hone your skills in everything from wading water to driving boats to training dogs to using a knife to having safety and responsibility with a loaded firearm to learning how to hide, use shadows, learn all of the different language. We have a company, this hat I'm wearing is called Jargon Game Calls, and jargon is the specialized vocabulary amongst a group of people. Baseball players speak it, pilots speak it, surgeons speak it, well, hunters speak it. On duck hunting, we have three different levels of jargon. We talk a different jargon with our hunting partners. We talk another jargon with our hunting dog and we speak another jargon to the wild duck. So answering your question, I'm not thinking about like, oh, the guys down the road are, 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 are getting, are better than us. They're getting more opportunities and they're harvesting more animals than us. I don't look at it as that. I look at it as like, what are we doing? How much fun are we having? How prepared are we? And then we get into a negotiation, the art of negotiation, which is baseball too. You could sit for six hours or excuse me, six innings while Greg Maddox is pitching a no-no. And then all of a sudden Chipper Jones gets a laser hit at him at three B on the hot corner. He's got to be ready. He's negotiating the whole time. Like, all right, if I'm hitting, Nope, didn't happen that time. He's negotiating now. All right. I'm watching. It's a slider away. Nope. Didn't happen. Struck another guy out. It's, and then all of a sudden, boom. So with the ducks, you're like, all right, I'm watching him do this. I'm negotiating with him. Nope. They didn't do what I wanted that, you know, you hit him with something else. So I'm trying, I'm getting competitive with myself to fit figure out that art of negotiation to get them to finish where I need them because I want to be very ethical. I don't want to shoot a gun just because I have it at a duck just because he's there or she's there at 75 yards away. I want it to be ethical at 10 yards, 15 yards. And that means you have to be ready. You have to be prepared. You have to be negotiating with them the whole time. You have to look real. You have to be hidden. Your decoys have to be swimming, right? The water has to have a bunch of ripples on it. The chocolate milk effect. You got to sound like ducks. You, you know, all of that is that, that what we started with is the mm -hmm. comparativeness to sports is that preparation. And you do get a competitive nature in it. Like, Hey, we're not giving up. We didn't get them yesterday. It was low ceiling. It was cloudy. There was no wind. It got warm. But today we got blue skies and sunshine. We got a nice stiff breeze out of the Northeast. The sun's going to be at their backs. A bunch of new birds had to have moved into the area because there was a storm front up north of us. And we're watching the, the forecast every day. So duck hunters become meteorologists as well, trying to dictate what days to go out. The barometric pressure, it drops. Those ducks feel it in their ears. They have to eat before the storm comes. They have to move south before the storm comes or they'll ride the the wind down so you're thinking about all of these different levels just like when you're on the on deck circle and you're like 
man, I'm visualizing pitch. Well, the leadoff hitter came back, said, hey, man, watch the slider. It starts late or it starts early. His fastball sneak up on you. It tails away from the lefty. So you're always thinking. And then you're like, all right, the ground. what is the infield cut like? What's the what's the groundskeepers doing? Is the bounces? Is it a, is it a really honest field? What's the, what's the AstroTurf like back in the day or the grass that we're playing on now? Can I run on it? Where are the gaps in the outfield? How much ground do I have to cover as the center fielder? What communication am I in with my left fielder, my right fielder? What about a ball hitting the gap? What am I doing with my back foot? Am I planting it? And am I drop? You know, all of those drop mm-hmm. steps, everything that goes in, there's so much more than just turning on ESPN and hearing Chris Berman go back, back, back. It's like, what went into that guy mm-hmm. being able to do what Griffey did so consistently? Robbing a home run is not easy. Griffey made it look like, oh man, I did this when I was nine. No, yep. he was so sought out, so visionary, so visual, a visual of saying, all right, the ball, he was practicing that stuff in BP. If I plant my foot here, I know that the warning tracks here. If I hit it, I'm taking one and a half more steps because my, my strides a little bit longer than the normal athlete. I'm hitting the bottom of the fence. I'm going up over it. I'm planting my right knee here. And I'm do, if I, if the ball's hit to my right and I got to catch it on my glove hand side, I'm doing this. Those guys are so professional at what they do and mm-hmm. good duck hunters they might not be like holding up a trophy like a Bassmaster fishing guy would at the end and Bassmaster guys are very sought out and very you know they're very uh strategized too so you you look at all of these different aspects of the outdoors and you might not necessarily be considered a first ballot hall of famer but you're you you would de- you will develop a reputation even in your local area maybe mm-hmm. in the region across the state across the country of being a hunter that that can get them that's good at it, understands the strategy, understands everything that goes into it, can execute consistently, is very ethical and honest and transparent about it. And, and the biggest thing about hunting is that I, I want it to be to where we can share it. I want to share the heritage and the culture. And that's what mm-hmm. the good baseball players do, man. Ted Williams wrote a book on, if you want to know how to hit, here it is. Yeah. Here's, <clears throat> here's the science of hitting. What was chapter four? I think it was four visualization like here is how to hit 400 george brett almost did it hit 391 and he was hitting 400 going in late in the season Mm -hmm. and they visualize they negotiate they 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 approach the game with everything that a good entrepreneur the ceo mentality does and and when they get between the lines they take everything that they've been processing and they apply it and it looks so fluid and so easy because it does become second nature because of all the hard work they put in in those days that they needed to, we don't know what Mike Trout's doing right now. I bet you that dude is literally probably 400 burpees in already with an unbelievable program written out by his trainer this morning with a good omelet, a white egg, white omelet. He might go and hit a couple balls. You saw that stuff he did at top golf and just mm-hmm. smash that ball. Ooh. But we don't know what he's doing on a daily basis to become arguably could go down as the greatest baseball player of all time. If he stays mm-hmm. at it, what he's doing. I've always said that Barry Bonds is the best hitter of all time. Hands down hands down i still think that but trout man trout's solid and he's a righty so it's not as fun to watch because i love watching lefties more but i i honestly cannot put into it words how hard these guys work at becoming that good and staying that good for as long as bonds did from 87 to 2000 or or 2005 or whatever it was griffey played 20 years tony gwynn george brett played 20 years with the same team he went to kaufman stadium every day 85 games a year for the home games and had to perform so if you think about it, it it's just not picking up a bat and going out there it's 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 very 
it's very detailed execution work in the off season and duck hunting is the same thing. It's like, mm -hmm. I'm talking ducks all the time. I'm trying to visualize what I'm going to do. I'm thinking of my, the different processes. I'm thinking about the different people that are going to be at camp. How are we going to make that camp a better experience? And how are we going to be more successful to keep these memories being made, bring new blood into it, new generations of hunters, introduce the sport in a mentorship program of saying, Hey, Let's get a, a new girl, a new guy involved in this that did, might not have grown up in it. And, and so we're, we're looking at all of these different aspects that go into being a provider, a conservationist, a hunter, a gatherer, a fisher. It's a great way to live. But without baseball, there's no way that I would be where I'm at and be able to sit on this podcast with you. Baseball taught me all of this. And I just took it to another level of, you know, applying it to something that because I wasn't good enough to apply it in the big leagues. Well, I think um, I... I wish you could have made it to the big leagues, man. Cause it's so awesome just getting to hear you speak about this. And again, you know, I appreciate all the analogies that you're making just to make it a little easier for me and anyone out there listening, just to understand, you know, just the, the level of expertise, the level of necessity. And as you said, you kept saying preparation and everything that goes into it's, it's not just like, okay, we're going to go hunt today. No, it's, it's everything that you've done for the last couple of weeks, couple of months, couple of years to make sure that you're in the perfect spot in the perfect position, do what you need to do. As we said before, you know, you might only get one at bat. You might only get one pitch to hit that day. You might get four at bats, but one pitch to hit. So how are you going to take advantage of it? Keeping steady mentally, as you were talking about before with Chipper Jones, making sure that you're negotiating with yourself, with the, with the ducks, with the players, everything, and making sure that you're constantly always on that plane of knowing that at any point in time, something can happen. And, you know, you were talking about it before, like, you know, there's no trophies, there's no first, you know, first ballot Hall of Famers. But what you're doing, I think, is fantastic. Again, from where you're coming from, from how you're doing it, from the media that you're putting out to help others learn and understand. And I do, again, appreciate you coming on here, talking about baseball, my favorite thing on planet Earth, talking about duck hunting, which seems like it's either 1A or 1B for you, if I'm not mistaken, right yeah, next to baseball. And, and so how, you know, take, let's take that to another level. You know, you talked about it, you touched upon it a little bit being an entrepreneur as well. It sounds like you're doing, you're in multiple different businesses. You're doing multiple different things. Obviously you have the podcast started a couple years ago. You have the TV show, as I said before, and it's 11th season, which is incredible and kudos and congratulations to you. How, how have you been able to take all these things from, from baseball, from outdoors and hunting? Have you now been able to apply them to the entrepreneur life that you've been able to just, I mean, not too many people get a TV show for one year. Uh, the fact that you've been able to create a production company, partner with your family, which is even cooler, that opportunity, have multiple companies, duck calling, have incredible sponsors like your shotgun sponsors as well. How have you been able to take everything you've learned in hunting and in baseball and now apply it to the entrepreneur life? I think that, you know, the first part of that question is organization is the key to success. I learned a long time ago how important a spiral notebook is. And in today's world where technology is so readily available, I still see right there. That's exactly, exactly how every kid should be taught to execute is a spiral notebook with the words, the, with the word, this one word was put into my mind, uh, my head a long time ago, and it was always negative. And it was procrastination and a spiral notebook allowed me not to procrastinate because if I ran out of time on a Monday, that would be crossed off and put on Tuesday, mm -hmm. but I was going to get it done. And procrastination became less and less and less and less of a problem for me. And when I see procrastination or tardiness or people that can't be prompt out of, you know, I think respect is earned through all of this stuff that I'm talking about in business, baseball, hunting, whatever. So I think that learning how to take notes, not really journal. I've never been a person that has to go through and write down 
oh, I learned this today because I've always been able to internalize it, ingest it, digest it, and then put it out into my own way of, of, of how I wanted to utilize what I learned that day. And I think that college, going to college, a lot of people say, well, you don't need college. And in a lot of ways, I probably, I, I have, I have uh, degrees in communication, business. I don't know if I learned a lot in college about business as I did in business when mm-hmm. I got out, Pro- not even close. No. But I did learn how to juggle. I learned how to get up and go to morning weights. I learned how to go to my classes, taking 12 to 15 units a semester. I learned how to get the base baseball practice on time or Dallimore was going to have me running pools until I puked. I learned how to go to swimming after that. I learned how to go to study hall that night. I had to be in the dining commons before it closed to get some nutrients when I could eat whatever I want back in the day because my metabolism was so high. That was a that was an Adam Sandler. That was kind of where uh-huh. you're from yep. that part of the country. I got you. Uh, big daddy. Um, so I think that all of that, all of that part of college really taught me how to keep a lot of balls in the air so coming full circle we do have a lot going on with the tv shows we're getting ready to start airing season 12 on july 1st congratulations and and start thank you and start filming season 13 on september 15th so we travel with film crews and producers and wardrobe people that help in every aspect of the hunt and is that going overboard maybe but being prepared for all of it just like a good team that's what we're ready for and we might go on a trip where the mother nature changes on us and we get a lot of overcast days we have to figure out how to stay relative so that's the other part of business and baseball and going on to the next level is that i don't take ever since i was able to put my feet on the ground i feel like i've been very good at never taking anything for granted and i think that that gets you a long ways in business is that if you say if you give me an opportunity to be on your podcast you're going to get a very warm heartfelt thank you after this in an email and i'm not saying that to make you go oh i can't i'm just saying that that's what you do when you appreciate things in life and you don't take them for granted so when i do get to say that our title sponsors benelli shotguns which is right up in your area in maryland too they're the best shotgun company ever invented they're in italy they're made in italy and then sold over here in the states they're known in duck hunting as the best i would I am so humbled. Like I'm, I got to shake myself every day that we've been with Benelli nine years now, nine years out of our 12 years in TV. And we had the blessing from our first shotgun company to go to Benelli because we were then ready for it. And I went to that company to get their blessing and Andy McCormick gave it to me. So what I'm, what my point in that is that I want to be the person that says, even if, if they're not expecting it and then Benelli's sitting there on a Wednesday and it's not duck season, I'm going to hit him with a hello. What's going on? How's your family? Is there anything that I can do? And I think that that goes a long way. But the other part of that is you cannot be unauthentic about it. If you say it, you got, you got to back it up. And I got into that position in my career to where things were moving so fast and growing so fast and momentum and that snowball effect was taking place. And I knew things were going the right track, but I would meet somebody in Kansas and I'd say, Hey, thanks for the help. I'll get you a Benelli. Hey buddy, thanks for the help. I'll send you some ammunition. And then I got caught in being a yes man. Like, man, I'm not delivering on all this mm-hmm. stuff that I'm saying. I want to, I have every great intention, but I wasn't pumping the brakes enough to make sure because I've soon learned that if, if you say that and you don't do it, that trust and credibility can be shattered. It might not be all the way gone. You might be able to have one chance or opportunity at redemption, but you weaken the chance. And so I got really good at following through and saying, you know what, if I say it, I'm going to do it and people are going to count on me. And I think that in business, um, you know, being prepared, 
having those notes, being able to take notes on something real quick and saying, all right, I'm going to remind myself to do this tomorrow. And and then figuring out why did I say that? It's like being a songwriter. Why did I write that lyric? I Mm -hmm. wrote it down at two in the morning. I woke up, wrote it down. Oh, that's why. And then you try to build a story off of that. So if I see something as simple as feeding my dog, right, I will write that down on a short-term goal. Even though I know I'm not going to forget to do it, it creates repetition Mm -hmm. and it creates confidence and it creates um success too right achievement i was gonna say achievement success you just achieved a small term you made Mm -hmm. sure your dog was taken care of and at the same time i made sure his bowl was cleaned out i made sure his kennel was cleaned out i made sure that i ran him and aired him out and let him get some exercise and so i'm doing my job to the best of my ability as being a dog owner because i wrote that one little thing down and you visualized it boom you make it happen the next thing might be put fuel in my tank and if you write that down and you get to cross it off, it does all the things we said, mm-hmm. but now it's like, okay, I see my, I, I'm taking care of my truck. It's, it's not taken for granted. I have it cleaned and vacuumed. And uh, when people see it, they take me serious. I honestly feel that appearance and aesthetics and, and taking care of yourself and becoming a better version of yourself every day and business, just like you did in sports and try to become a better player every day. You have to do it every day in life too. It's too easy to say, oh, I can afford, you know, to put on a few pounds during the the quarantine i've really i've tried the opposite of like well what can i utilize around my house now that my trainer can't train me right now because he's not deemed essential which i felt they are but they're not they you know what can i do so i try you get creative you try to figure out so i write things down tomorrow and i can show you in a notebook here's what i'm doing i'm using five gallon water buckets i'm using these as dumbbells i'm using this as a is for lunges all and i and i go and i visualize it and i make it happen the next day then i cross it off and then you start juggling all that stuff. You know, well, now I got to get on a podcast. And right after this, I just, I'm, I'm not dropping names again, but I just had a country music guy text me and said, Hey, I, I, I want to get online today to tell you about a hunt that we just did. He's a big time guy. I got a new single out on the radio. It's climbing the charts. So now I got to figure out like, what's my approach going to be while I'm talking baseball and entrepreneurial spirit of America and hunting with you. Now I'm thinking that ball's in the air. Now I got to make sure that he's taken care of because that's a great opportunity that I'm not going to let pass. So all of that's popping. And then we got, if I open these doors right behind me, it'll open up a full studio of editors and producers out here, knocking things out, out of the park for us. They're creating animations and timelines and, and working with all these bands to incorporate their music into the show and the hunts and the dogs and all of our partners. So there's all these balls in the air and every day you're like, all right, what can I do to make sure that these six sponsors are happy on Monday, these six on Tuesday, these six on, and it's the off season. Then mm-hmm. come the season, I'm just like, I'm like, all right, we're making logistically, we're making plans to fly people into these airports to have rides, pick them up. We got hunts going on. We got, we got to buy hunt licenses. We got to be legal. We got to be ethical. We got to make sure all of our birds are cleaned after and putting, you know, and, and, and vacuum seal them and get them in the freezers and so many moving parts. And it's all comes from that foundation of discipline mm-hmm. and being able to make sure that you look at that spiral notebook every day and go, man, I achieved all my goals today. I didn't half ass any of these. I was authentic in my approach on every one of them. And when I crossed it off, I'm able to look in the mirror and go, I did that right. And that is what opens doors. It might not be instant gratification, but people in today's world expect instant gratification because they can turn on these little feel good machines at any time and go onto Instagram and go, man, Chad's happy. How the hell do you know? Just because I got a smile on my face and I got my dog with me, I could be going through hell right now, but this Mm -hmm. thing makes it look 
look like, oh, this is so it's we got all the friends in the world. That's not the case. You have to apply yourself. You have to figure out how to communicate, negotiate, be transparent, be able to read people's body language, ducks, body language, the pitcher's arm. What's it doing? The mm -hmm. delivery. What is your delivery when you're talking to me? What is your delivery when you're throwing the ball? What's mother nature's deliver delivery today when she gives me these ducks? So all of that goes into those notes you write down on that spiral notebook, being engaged every day, being relevant, being present, looking people in the eye and be able to talk to them. How often do you go into a restaurant and five people at a table, they're all in these little feel good machines. Mm -hmm. I'm just as guilty. It's sad because that's why I love podcasting. Cause I get to sit across from somebody and really do a deep dive into what got them to the dance? How long did they stay at the dance? Who brought them home from the dance? How did they get home from the dance? What were all of those little steps that kept George Brett in that same dugout every year? Why did the management and the ownership of the Kansas City Royals want this freaking guy wearing number five in the lineup every day? Why didn't they ever want to trade him? Why didn't he ever want to go somewhere? Why is he still there? It's like, and then you start doing a deep dive in a podcast. You're like, oh, oh, that's, mm -hmm. how, I, that's how I do it. Oh, really? You were doing that back in the 70s? I, I, I was doing that in the 90s when I was in high school, right? And it's just like, it's amazing to see the consistency in the approach of success. Take care of yourself. George Brett turned 67 today. You should you should wish him a happy Ooh. birthday on your show. George Brett, happy 67th happy birthday. birthday George Brett. I texted him this morning and said, happy birthday. And he hit me back and said, thank you very much. He's going to, he was walking his dogs. But what I'm saying is he works out every day still. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have to work out. He's, he could just, you know, just go through the rest of his life and be like, Hey, I'm George Brett. He works out two hours a day in his home gym and goes on walks and plays golf because he knows that he wants to still be living this quality of life when he's 80 with his mind, his wits about him, his, his aesthetics. He wants to look good. If he goes to a game and somebody recognizes him, it's all relative, man. It's all in the approach. And it starts with those, that spiral notebook and being disciplined enough to write your day down. And if you don't execute it the right way, you got to be honest with yourself and say, I mm -hmm. can do that better. That's not good enough. I can do that better and go do it again. It might not be the next day, but don't settle. Don't freaking settle. Make sure that you don't have to be a perfectionist, but if it's not done right the first time, don't be afraid to try it again. And exactly. I, think that, I think that approach has carried me through business. And I think that now you get to the other side of it to where you start seeing success and you're like, man, do I really deserve this? And this is mm -hmm. a big problem with competitive athletes. This is why people are so driven is that do you deserve it? It's here. Well, are you taking into consideration all the 18 and I'm talking to myself, all the 18 hour days that you worked when everybody else was sleeping or they were out partying. Are you taking any of that in consideration? You can't forget where you came from. You can't forget that all of those little pieces of that puzzle are now starting to fit together. And this big picture is presenting itself and there's some success. There's some, there's some really cool opportunity and there's some bigger revenue opportunity and there's big bit better trips and better houses and all of that opportunity. Are you going to be able to accept it? Are you going to piss it away? Are you going to take what is rightfully yours and keep building on it because you deserved it and you built on it to start with? There's all of these thoughts go through my head daily of how did I get here? How do I stay here? How am I, where am I going to go when I'm not here? And, 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 it, and it, it all starts with, you know, that notepad that I talked about and, and, and making sure that you're writing things down and know what your short-term, mid-term and long-term goals are. Again, long-winded. Hopefully somebody buddy, got something out of that. Buddy, people are here to listen to you. They're not here to listen to me. Do not do not worry about that at all. And I think, you know, a couple of points, you know, uh, 
consistency, I think, is incredible. Uh, you know, a very big mentor of mine, David Meltzer, consistent, persistent pursuit of your potential. You know, try and get to and, and be as good as you can every single day and to that job and to whatever you are working towards, whatever that may be. Anyone could take that advice. And I think, you know, you, you do bring up a really interesting point. When people start, you know, there's a lot of people that start to see and feel a little success. And I've been guilty of it as well, where you, you either don't think you deserve it or you almost kind of get scared away and you kind of get scared back a little bit, you know, you almost take that step back. Has that, I mean, with, with all the success that you've been seeing, and I know it sounds like you've been running a thousand miles an hour for the last at least 11 or 12 years at this point, have you had time, have there, has there ever been a time where you've actually kind of almost scared yourself back a step just because you weren't where, especially with Benelli, with some of these incredible opportunities that you've seen with the TV show, at what point did you just, did you have to kind of break through that ceiling or break through that wall to re get yourself to understand, no, just keep going forward and things will continue to happen. Yeah, it's funny because it's like as an athlete, you get in the gym, right? Mm -hmm. And why do you go to the gym? You try to become a better version of yourself, right? <clears throat> and you work hard. And all of a sudden, you start to see a little bit of a bicep. Maybe, and then a couple weeks later, you get to see a little bit of a vein. What do you do? You work harder. You look in the mirror more. Now you become this mirror junkie. Like, man, why, why am I looking in the mirror? Because I like what I see. Mm -hmm. So what do you want? You want more. So you work a little bit harder. Some people take that to a level to where I never really got into that part of it. But I, I wanted to stay natural and I wanted to stay as, as looking as good as I possibly could. But then when you get to a point of like, man, I look really good. Am I going to go backwards now? Because I'm really tired. I just put all this time into the gym and now I'm exhausted. And now I don't know if I can keep this routine going. I don't know if I can keep this pace of staying it. So then people might make other decisions to alter that or whatever. But if you, if you get the mindset of like, oh man, I'm, I'm sinking into this, this uh, routine of where I'm not doing my daily ritual, my daily routine, mm -hmm. your results start to go away. So then you start to get nervous. So that's one part of business is like if you slouch off a little bit and you don't get the return or the ROI, the return on investment or whatever you see, you start to, you, you have the ability or you, the mindset of being like, man, I'm failing. Well, the competitiveness in me says, no, that's just the door that's trying to close. Let's keep it open. Let's keep our foot in it, but let's not, let's not, you know, let these other doors not open. You know, you're always mm -hmm. trying to open those doors. So once I started to see some of that success and you would hear something said about you, that was a big thing for me is that when I would go, when I would get something sent to me, cause I've never been a, a, a message board guy. I've never been a social media guy to read the comments, mm -hmm. but I've had them sent to me. And I'm like, man, that I've been called names a lot by people that don't know me that probably don't even have their own physical address. They just live in a basement somewhere and they're typing on this keyboard with all this keyboard muscle. And they're making this guy that, that is out there doing it and working and trying to, it, to become a better version of himself and trying to be a good mentor and trying to help others. They're tearing me down and they don't even know all these little things that I've been doing to get here. So that really messed with my mind. Taylor Swift had a, a line in a song that people are going to throw rocks at things that shine. They're going to support you on the way up there's mm -hmm. you climbing that ladder go chad go your local community go buddy you're and you're reaching for that next rung and then all of a sudden you get up on top and you're like people are talking about you and you're getting all these opportunities and this notoriety and and you're signing another sponsor and then and then all of a sudden what happens all these rocks start coming at you because mm -hmm. they want you off that top rung yep. and i always had the mindset like you can't knock me down you can you could say what you want and it's going to hurt. It does cut, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to let my buddy Scott always says, you're not going to die a, a death of a thousand cuts. You might cut me, but I'll just, I'll just bandaid it up real quick and keep going because here's the deal. They wouldn't be saying that if you weren't doing it. 
Mm-hmm. If you weren't relevant, they wouldn't be saying that kind of stuff. So there's that's that's one lesson in business and life and success is there are going to be haters. There are going to be critics. I mean, you can watch the finest Matt Damon movie made in Boston ever with Ben Affleck and be like, that was a good movie. And then go read the critics and they're like, that's the worst movie ever made. And you're just like, whoa. Like, yep. how? And those guys are just laughing all the way to the bank, but it's got to cut them in ways sometimes. But as soon as you get mature enough to understand that people are going to talk, you have to stay in your lane. You have to keep doing you. As long as you feel in your heart, you're doing it right for the right reasons. You're doing it ethically. You're not using people, stepping on people to get up to a next level. And I, I feel that we've done just the opposite. We've given opportunities and it, we've taken opportunities and we've tried to use those to elevate our brands. And a lot of is said in what I just said right there. There's a mm-hmm. lot of business um, interpretation there that you can go into and say, well, how do you, did you get start in the hunting? Well, of course I had mentors. I was around people that built duck calls. I was around people that built the products that we build now. Now, did I go out and copy them? No. Did I go out and do my own thing and want to have my own brands? Yes. And that's how America goes around. So I always wanted to have the mindset that if somebody came into our organization and they left us and went and started, that's another hard pill to swallow. Like, Mm -hmm. Oh man, you just were with us. You watched us do this for six years and now you're starting your own. That's part of it. Cause not everybody has the ability to go start a national brand, then nurture that national brand through its, you know, in, in, in from infancy into adolescence, into its teenagers, 2% of national brands survive the infancy stage. So to get a national brand, off the ground and to build it into what we've built banded into and jargon game calls in the foul life TV show. It's the hardest thing to do in business. And I mean that building a national brand is very, very hard. Now I'm not saying that is raw, raw. Look what we've done. I'm saying that if people think that they can leave and go do it, you have to have the mindset like, good luck. I'd be proud of you if you make it. And it took a while in my life and my mm-hmm. business career to mature into that of like, wow, man, I did the same thing. I left somebody that I rode in the truck with and hunted with and did all this stuff with. And now I didn't go out and like get all their secrets, but I went out and I had the ability to use my personality and my voice. And I'm one of the guys that was able to do that. There's other people that clock in nine to five and they're happy working those days. And we, we need all of those different asses and those different seats on that bus to make these big, these companies go. There's Mm -hmm. CEOs, there's CFOs, there's CMOs, there's VPs, there's all these different levels of management. And then you get down to the workers and all of the creativity that goes in to building these brands. There's, there's, you couldn't do it by yourself, but the people that step out and take the risk and the financial part of it and starting Mm -hmm. the brand not everybody does that part of it. So I soon learned like, wow, success is coming. I took a risk. I worked so many hours when people didn't know I was working. I was getting kicked and and knocked down and tried to get back up. I was spending money on, on trips that we weren't getting any results out of. So I started to look at like, all right, when we're out on the road and mother nature doesn't cooperate, let's keep building. Let's get something else out of today. So what do we do? We become backyard aficionados. We become become providers, garden growers. We teach people about living off the earth and butchering and processing and cooking and sharing that bounty. We talk about instruction in a lot of the things we do. Then we added sporting dogs into what we do. Then we added automotive into what we do. And so now we're able to talk about tires and bumpers and winches. And so now when the ducks aren't cooperating, we can, we can incorporate everything that we experience in business and go out with a voice and say, look, 
we didn't get him today, but here's why. But here's what we did. We took this out of the field today. And that was another maturing process in business. It's like, man, I'm going to get so stressed out. We're not getting any ducks killed on TV. We're going to, we're, we're, we're up here. For, we got to get out of here. We got to go. No, we don't chill, pump the brakes, relax. This is happening for a reason. You are literally being taught a life lesson, business lesson right now on how to adapt. What did baseball teach you? If it was freaking rain out in San Jose state on a Saturday and you had to play a double header on a Sunday, but you're already exhausted. You had to adapt. You had to find that mental aptitude to stay in the game, see the pitch, get the, get your hands through the strike zone, stay inside the ball, backside turn, get your front foot planted, have your timing down. You couldn't forget all that just because you were kicked and knocked down by mother nature. You had to adapt. So I do that every day in business. Oh, you said this. All right, well, we're going to have to go this route with it. And it took a while to get there because at first you're like Beavis and Butthead and you're just all clinched up. You're like, Oh God. And you're like, why isn't things going my way? And then you're like, they are, this is my way. Mm -hmm. This is my way, whether it's a higher spirit or the good Lord above, depending on what you believe in. And I, that's another rabbit hole you go down, but <laughs> you, 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 you sit there and go, this is happening for a reason. I was afforded this opportunity for a reason. I was put on this earth to do what I'm doing. And now I'm seeing success from all the hard work when it could have been the other way. I could have cashed out a year into it and said, not cashed out, like sold mm -hmm. it. I'm talking about like went and got a nine to five job because we failed. And that happens a lot too. And that would have been okay because that would have been the path. But now you get to the point where you're like, is that really happening right now? I have Aaron Lewis in my backyard. I have Tyler Farr playing at my, at my pool right now. Like, is this really happening because of a mallard duck? I'm cooking Traeger steaks with Chad Ward and George Brett in Kansas city with my brother, Clay. I'm doing this with Char. I mean, I, I you're like, is this real? I'm standing on stage while the Eagles are playing at, at in San Francisco and Zach Brown just opened for him. And I, I know Zach through hunting and his whole crew. I get this opportunity because of this. People are like, you had to have bought your way into that. You had to have inherited a ton of money. My dad was a plumber. He worked 35 years in the same union before he passed away. I didn't have any inheritance. So I don't, I, I'm saying it can be done. A mm -hmm. duck hunter from Reno, Nevada. We don't even have ducks in Nevada, really. We're not known as duck hunting, but we did it. And we stepped out and took a risk. And the only risk is a risk not taken. I don't invest in a lot of, a lot, a lot of stock market or investments. I do have some, but I invest in my, I've invested in myself. I put my money into things that I felt I could help build and I continue to do that. So that's why we have the TV shows, the podcasts, the manufacturing brands, the duck call brands. You know, now we have a new cookbook launching this summer called the provider. That's going to be unbelievable. It's Chad Mendez from the UFC, myself and Chad Ward from whiskey bent barbecue. Who's a, a huge national champion. 100 it's going to be a 100 recipes 10 of those are going to be guest celebrity recipes but now we got that going on and we just we we just got an offer in another big uh, organic mm -hmm. food company that we're looking at right now i'm telling you that like doors are opening and you're like do i really deserve all this and then you got to sit there and go well hell yeah i do i didn't buy my way into this i worked i was put my dad always said you're put on earth to work you are you can have a good family. You can be, you find a girl to love you. You can have kids, but what happens if you're not working? What happens if you don't have a work ethic? What position do you put that family in? If you don't put food on the table and become a provider, what are you going to leave your legacy as? You can't just say, oh, I'm here. I'm going to go through the motions and get married because she loves me. Yeah. Anybody can do that. And I'm being, that might sound mm -hmm. really, that might sound superficial, but I'm telling you, if you're not ready for the big picture, a lot of times this little foundation over here has the opportunity to fail. You hear country songs. Well, love will get us through anything that 
could possibly be true. But if you ain't got a job and you're not working and you're not putting food on the table and you're not being clever and thinking outside of the box and you're not adapting and look at what we're doing right now through the quarantine. If you're not adapting through this and figuring out how am I going to survive and become, stay a provider, then you're, you're not doing it right. In my opinion, you have to be thinking ahead, visualizing, visualizing, writing things down that spiral notebook. I'm going to come out of this on top because I'm doing these little things right now. I'm seeing the big picture. It's teaching me that I can get through adversity. I can be a better husband. I can be a better mom. I can be a better dad. I can be a better wife, whatever it is. You got to be learning that. And that's what, you know, it's, it's hard because all of these different processes you go through in life and business and sports or whatever it is, you think that you're being knocked down because you're not good at something, but it might be for another reason. All of that, you, Jordan said it, he had to learn how to fail before he ever became mm-hmm. airman, jump man, jump. And number 23, you, you, you have to understand that there's a maturity process that's going to keep going on in your, in your life. And even into my forties now, I'm like, man, I'm learning so much every day about myself, about my community, about leadership, about what, what it takes to be a a really strong provider, a really strong mentality to keep getting through this because any, anybody can lay down and watch reruns and, and get down on themselves. And, and it's the people that I'm not saying that that's not warranted. I'm not saying that don't do that once in a while, but get back up and figure out, all right, I'm going to do some jumping jacks. I'm going to get my blood flowing and I'm going to get my brain working. I'm going to freaking cook a good meal. I'm going to put good substances into my body. And tomorrow I'm going to wake up with a whole new vision of how I'm going to attack this day and keep these balls in the air because a couple of them might fall and I'm going to pick them back up and I'm going to get them right back into the rotation of that juggle. And, and I think that that is what's taught me through sports, through, you know, going, you know, taking in the right uh, part of college and the right lessons that I learned there and juggling and, 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 and some of my professors taught me some unbelievable lessons being in college, but it wasn't book. It wasn't about, it wasn't what's in the book. And I think that if you just apply those things every day and don't get away from what got you to the dance and then be able to say, you know what? I do deserve this. I I've worked my butt off, man. I, I had a vision. I took it to the next step. If, we, if our TV show sucked, we wouldn't have any sponsors. The network mm-hmm. would tell us to get lost. They're begging for more. So if they're, if they're begging for more then keep doing it in a real authentic, valuable, passionate way and bring something to the table every day, that's going to set you apart. And if you don't have that mentality, then it's okay to be part of that team. And if you five years, you get down the road and you say, I'm out of here, I'm going to see if the grass is greener on the other side. I'm starting my own thing. Then go do it and do it right. And get, get it done. Make it happen. It's hard. It's not going to be easy to build brands. I'm, I would never sit and tell anybody, man, you can do it. You, can, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's just like, it's just like Charlie Blackman looking at me and going, man, I can't believe you're not in the majors because I, <laughs> you know, I teed off on one in the batting cage. He mm-hmm. would never do that. Yeah. He's going to be real to me and say, you're all right, but your hands are pretty slow. You'll never make it in the show, right? You got to be able to take the good with the bad and, and know where you belong. And, and going back to what we started with, and I'll shut up, is that, hey, I wanted to become a major leaguer. I wanted mm-hmm. to be a baller, man. I love the feeling I get when I walk into the yard. Whether I'm a fan up on the third deck or whether I'm walking in through the tunnel and I get to see that chalk and smell those smells and hear the vendors and hear the, 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 the ball hit the bat. I I love that. I wish I would have become a major leaguer, but I got told you suck. And I took that and I went, okay, then I'm just going to go hunting with the major leaguers. I'm just going to go cook with the major leaguers. I'm just going to go podcast with the major leaguers. And that, that mentality is not arrogance. It's not cocky. I just wanted to deliver on a bigger level. And I just kept pushing and pushing and pushing and, and building brands. And now I'm like, I do deserve some of the success. I truly do. And I'm not going to whimper away from it. 
You clearly deserve all of it, man. This has been absolutely incredible. We're right at about an hour. I know you got way more important things to do, but I sincerely, oh, sincerely. Oh, don't say that. This is very important. I, I appreciate that. I really do. I have a million more questions. I do just want to shout out my friends, uh, Dr. Chris Jones, Summer Siki. They had some questions for you, so I kind of built them in. There's a couple more. Chad, the only thing I'm going to ask you with this is just promise me you'll at least come back one more time because I have a I mean, honestly, I, I, this whole page is filled and I probably only got to ask three or four questions. So as long as you come back again, I will, I'll, I'll let you get back to your day. How's that sound? No, I'm, I'll come back. As, I, I love this, man. I love talking. It's funny because I was like, oh, we're going to get to talk baseball. And then all of a sudden I go into these rants about everything else. But no, it's perfect. It's, it's the baseball. analogies that you've been able to make along the way that have, I mean, I think it's, I think that's the best part. You know, we could talk about baseball. We could talk about what you do with hunting. We could talk about your businesses. And I have a million more questions about all three of those things, but I know you got stuff to do. Sincerely, Chad Belding, host of The Foul Life, 11th season currently airing, 12th season coming out in July, you said? July 1st, Outdoor J Channel. Let's go. Let's go, Outdoor Channel. Host of the This Life Inc. for Everybody podcast, former Division One baseball player, UNLV. Maybe he should have been there. Maybe he shouldn't have. I guess we'll have to find out next time. But Chad, sincerely appreciate it. All the links will be in the show notes for everybody. But thank you. Thank you so much for your time today, man. Man, I appreciate it. So I just want to make one sure clear. You had a shout out to a buddy, but he had a question. Do you do you have time for that question? I, I have time. Do you name. have time? I got, yeah, one okay. question from your buddy and and because uh, I don't want to leave him hanging because you mentioned I, it before. I appreciate that. Yes, Chris Jones. Um, So he had a question. He He's a very big duck hunter. He watches your TV show. He loves your podcast. He follows you on the internet. As I told you before, he was ecstatic that I got the opportunity to ask you a question. His question is, what is your dream waterfowl trip? Oh man, I have, uh, if you have so 20 minutes, you're more than welcome to take all of it. There's so, there's so many cool destinations in this world for waterfowl. And you know, I've Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay, Peru, the Canadian provinces of Saskatchewan, Alberta, Manitoba, Ontario, you, you know, the, 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 the top of the migration up in Canada is so powerful and it's so memorable. And I've been going there every year since 2000 and I've hunted in probably 35 of the continental United States down here in the lower 49 or lower 48, excuse me. And I've, uh, I've, I've, I can't even tell you how many times I've been in Washington and on the Columbia river or Oregon or North Dakota or Minnesota or Missouri. And they're all so special. They all have their, the great aesthetics and great people and great food and, 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 and great waterfowl hunting. But if I'm going to pick one place to go to, that is my ultimate duck hunting trip or my ultimate duck hunting location or what I like to say just an experience is is Arkansas and here's why Arkansas you know they got some SEC football there at the Razorback mm -hmm. and that's big there they got turkey hunting there and it can be big they got some good trout fishing and crappie fishing they got churches churches really big in the Bible Belt religion is really big down there and I love that about how passionate they are in everything that they do but Arkansas is the land of mallard ducks and here's why when you picture the uh, canada in america north america i guess canada and the continent of the united states it starts out really wide up top okay so there's the top of your funnel mm -hmm. and as that funnel and that right around that mississippi mississippi river missouri river up in north dakota and over into the mississippi flyway of, of you know iowa minnesota that part of the top of the, the country it starts to funnel down. And as it funnels down, all of those ducks that are spread out up top there, they start to get in that funnel. 
and they keep coming down, they keep coming down, they keep getting, and then they get into what they call, what I call the capital of duck hunting. The, the, the land of ducks is down there where Southeast Missouri and Eastern Oklahoma and Southeastern Kansas and Arkansas all start to really get tighter and tighter. And then you got the Black River, the White River, the Cash River, the Missouri River's coming down and flowing into the Mississippi. The Mississippi's coming down on the east side of that funnel. And all of those ducks get into what they call the Grand Prairie, which is northeast Arkansas. And then it comes down south of I-40 into Stuttgart, Arkansas. And it's really close to Memphis, Tennessee. And it's right across the Mississippi River from the, st the, Mississippi, the state of Mississippi and the Delta. And you have this culture of the American duck hunter that will blow your mind. Cars, trucks with boats behind them, four-wheelers, UTVs behind them, blue jeans tucked into your boots with your flannel on after a hunt. And they and you got your duck call. You're going into Max Prairie Wings, the store. You're going to any cafe or the bistro into in Stuttgart and you're eating meals around other duck hunters. And they got their camouflage jacket hanging off the back of their seat, whether it's a he or a female. Um, you The culture of the duck hunter is insane. It's a 60-day season. The world champion duck calling championships is down there. Uh, in, on Main Street in Stuttgart every Thanksgiving weekend in November. And then you have the flooded timber. And all of that area used to be timber. And then when rice farming got so popular and so you know economical and financial and, and revenue-driven, they started to clear cut a lot of those trees. Well, ducks kept going there for the sanctity of those trees, the acorns, and mainly the security that those trees would provide because they would get water in. And when the rivers would get out of their banks, they would get flooded and those ducks would go in there because eagles and hawks and birds of prey couldn't see them or get, get down to them because they'd have to fight through the branches. And by that time, the ducks are out of there, right? So they, they there's pockets of these trees in arkansas still and that's called the flooded timber of arkansas and that's where it's called the land of the mallard ducks the home of the mallard ducks the duck capital of the world is what stuttgart has coined itself um it's nothing to be in max prairie wings right next door is rich and tone duck calls owned by john stevens mr, mr. Uh, butch rickenbach started that company back in the day very very historic and, and heritage come and, and uh famous company popular company i should say and it's nothing to i've seen greg norman in there the golfer i've seen country music mm -hmm. stars in there i've seen actors in there i've seen i mean this place is a destination of the culture of the american duck hunter and then on top of that when you get in the woods and you see the power of mallard ducks coming off of those rice fields that they ate on all night and it's the morning it's a bluebird sky it's probably a low of 35 with a high of 48 with a northeast wind at 12 to 15 miles an hour and when you're in those trees and you hear those duck calls and that all you can think about is the culture and the heritage and the history that's come out of that part of our country and i could easily say i love going to Buenos Aires and getting off a plane and driving four hours west and hunting hunting rosy bills in argentina and the food is incredible in south america but Arkansas, redneck Arkansas, the Razorbacks, Little Rock, all the country music, all of the all of the things that have come out of there in 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 whether it was business, which I don't know if you've done a lot of business and or you know did done a lot of research of business in Northwest Arkansas, but that's like the tycoons right walmart's there bentonville mm -hmm. arkansas yeah i was gonna say walmart can, if i'm not mistaken you can name some of the top businesses in the world that are located in arkansas so if you if you see everything that comes out of the state and then you put on top of that the culture of the american duck hunter you cannot beat it anywhere you go in the world you could go to boise and be on the snake river in idaho and see ducks and ha have an unbelievable duck hunt and have great time with your friends i'm not saying that but 
you're not in Arkansas. And that's a big difference is when you're in Arkansas, you're in the land of the duck hunter, you're in the culture of it and the memories that I've made there. And I'm so humbled by the opportunities that I get there through our company banded. And we own a company called Avery that was originated in Memphis, Tennessee in 1994. We bought it in August of 15 and it's all come full circle now to where Arkansas is the hub of banded. It's the home of banded. And we get to go down there and be with friends and family and celebrities. And we've, we've hosted so much, so many unbelievable military hunts there. And it, we, one thing we didn't touch on today is how therapeutic duck hunting is. And when you can get a soldier in uh, that just came back from theater, just came off a mission and you put him or her in the woods or in a duck blind. And I've got the hunt with Admiral Joe McGuire, who's coming on the podcast. He was just on it. It's Aaron next week. Um, he's a three-star Admiral. He was in charge of the Navy SEALs for 39 months in his career. He's had a 36 year career in the Navy SEAL, SEAL Team 6, you name it, this man has done it. I met him through another military friend of mine who was in special forces um, named Scott Steer. And I hunted both of them several times in the flooded timber of Arkansas. And just looking back at the pictures and then hearing the stories and knowing the respect and the homage I pay to our military and, and our companies do. Arkansas provided this safe haven for them to come and receive that therapy and that camaraderie and that culture of what duck hunting can truly be. The food, the campfires, the wet dogs, the coffee pots, the Traeger grills, you name it, it's there. And I, I, I love being in Arkansas and I will never take anything away from California or Washington or New Jersey. New Jersey has an unbelievable early goose season. New York, Northern New York's an amazing duck hunting destination, but there's nowhere in the world like Arkansas. I'll end it by saying that. And I sincerely appreciate it, Chad. My favorite thing I get to do is talk to people like you who are absolutely passionate and about what they do and what they love. So I, I, I really do want to thank you again for coming on and just telling us about yourself. Again, I have a million more questions that I, hopefully we'll be able to get you on the show again. Thank you for answering my friend. He is a doctor too. I don't, I don't say that facetiously. Dr. Chris Jones is a good, good buddy of mine. Um, sincerely appreciate your time, man. This has well, been tell absolutely him I said incredible. Thank you for what he's been doing through the pandemic and staying on the front lines. Thank you. No, thank you. And, and, uh, also last thing, if you ever want to come to New Jersey, I promise you have a place to stay. How's that sound? Can we, can we go to some of those delis that were in the Sopranos? Absolutely. I've been to multiple of them. How's that sound? Oh, I love it. Best TV Good ever stuff. made. That's another podcast we could do. We got a couple in us, buddy. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon, Chad. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Chad Belding. As I said, just super, super cool dude. Knows what he's doing. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. As I said, easily one of my favorites. So please make sure to go follow Chad on all of his socials. Everything's down there in the show notes. Please make sure to give us a five-star review, especially if you really liked it on Apple, on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify. Subscribe on YouTube. But... Other than that, thank you so much for your time. I sincerely do appreciate it. It's the only thing we don't get more of. So thank you for giving me some of yours and I hope you make it a wonderful day.